Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance, too, with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Happy Tuesday, everybody. Hope you're all getting through the week focused in uh, self-care. Also asking yourself throughout the day, how is my mental health? And asking those that you care about, how's their mental health? That's, again, how we normalize talking about our mental health others being familiar and comfortable hearing about us talk about our mental health and also letting them know that you are a safe person for them to go to. Not because we need to fix something. Remember, mental health often is not about fixing anything. It's about just sitting with, holding space for, recognizing, and sometimes realizing you need to maybe amp up some of the self-care, maybe choosing different coping mechanisms. Because remember, self-care are things that leave us off feeling better and nourished. They are not things that make us feel worse off or depleted. Coping mechanisms are the things we use to help us get through. And sometimes those are things that maybe make us feel worse or feel bad. Maybe some things we choose to eat, maybe drinking, all sorts of things like that. That might not be the best form of coping. So focus again on self-care, things that leave us better off. It's like a uh, little bit of a behavioral vitamin. Let's get into some news. There's a lot of stuff that was going on this past week and last week. Let's start with this horrible one. (laughs) Coronavirus, majority testing positive, have no symptoms. Let that one settle into your body. 80% of positive COVID tests, the people had no symptoms. Sit with that. Literally sit with that. These are individuals who were just being responsible, saying, let me get tested. I might have come in contact with, or I have to get a surgery, or I'm going to go be around loved ones or someone with a high risk, so I'm going to get tested. 80% had no symptoms. That means... It is not safe to be around individuals without taking into consideration where they've been, rates of that area, but more importantly, without social distancing and wearing a mask because you don't know the status of the person in front of you. Why? Because they don't know. Does that scare you? Good. It should. We got we got to get this rate down. So again, we're going to keep talking about it. And for all those that are being asked to wear a mask, chill out, have some responsible behavior and stop attacking people. Okay. Halle Berry, proud of her. She went on a little bit of a journey last week. She had come out saying that she was going to be taking on the role of a transgendered individual. I thought we all got that memo. I thought Scarlett Johansson, some of these other individuals who have been down this road had cleared that up that, hey, trans individuals often do not get brought into castings. They rarely get the chance to play a cis role. I can't think of a trans individual right off the top of my head that's gotten to play a cisgendered role. So these trans roles are, for some, the only time they'll get to act and engage in their craft. Don't take them away. Luckily, she swooped right back in. Well, not right back in, but soon and said, I, I, I've, I've learned, I'm not gonna take that role, and I'm here for that. 
uh, she's not <laughs> she's not going to be negatively impacted financially or box office wise by turning down a role. And we had talked about this couple, I think last week, the week before, white individuals that have been voicing the roles of black cartoon or people of color characters have backed down and off. And this is what it's about. Cast disabled people in the roles of people with disabilities because they're not getting brought in for able-bodied roles, but trans people in trans roles. Why? Because they're not getting brought in to do cis-hetero roles or cis roles, I should say, and same thing with some gay characters. Um, again, I know some people are saying, well, acting's acting. It's like, yes, but when we look at the power dynamics and access, it is important to give people the few things that they might be given an opportunity to actually get. And that's what it's really about, evening the playing field until we actually do let people act. So for those that are saying it shouldn't matter who plays what, okay, good. Then let trans people play cis roles. Let someone who's disabled play an able-bodied role. If it really doesn't matter, you know what I mean? So put your money where your mouth is. That This is really important stuff. So we want to think about this. Um, this is beautiful. San Francisco supervisors have uh, proposed something called the Karen Act, C-A-R-E-N. That would make false racially biased calls to police illegal. Now, we've seen how weaponized the use of calling police is. Police historically are responsible for a lot of violence against marginalized and exploited individuals, such as individuals that are sex workers, homeless, trans, gay, and people of color and people that are black. And so I love this. And this is on the heels of a lot of high profile 911 calls, again, that were used against people of color. So San Francisco supervisor, um, Shaman Walton on Tuesday introduced an ordinance that would make these discriminatory calls for police illegal. That is stunning. I, I I wish I thought of something like that myself, but that's what we need because look, 911 and the police are for real emergencies. It, you know, calling them because you're a racist and you're hoping that violence is enacted on someone who's black or of color is not what that's about. So simmer down, settle down, and hey, white people, stop calling the police. But luckily, now it's going to be illegal. It's going to carry a fine, maybe some jail time. Look, it's it's quite dangerous. So we're going to keep a track of that. I hope that that passes. I think we need more more laws like that. This news story made my day. The headline is nudists comply with face mask requirement amid debate in US. So while everyone's running around debating whether or not you should have to wear a mask or if you can, nudists are like, hey. And that's what's really amazing is these are individuals who built their entire lives on not wanting to wear clothing. They're, they're body positive. They don't think you should have to hide your body. They feel free. And even they're willing to wear a mask, which I think would be the people that might be like, yeah, that's like, we're just not down with covering up any part of our body. But even they're in on the importance of doing that. So although it might seem weird or unusual, yeah, they're, they're down with that. I mean, I think that makes me laugh. Uh, one of the managers of a nudist resort, this is up in New York, said, um, they, she told the paper for this article, it's a little bit odd when that's the only part of your body that's clothed. Um, but we recognize that the nudist lifestyle is about being safe and cautious, and so we're willing to comply. Love that. I wish everyone felt that way. All right, coming up next, we're going to be talking about emotional fatigue. We often are very familiar with physical fatigue when your body's tired or worn out, but what when, What about when it's an emotional psychological exhaustion? That's something I personally have been experiencing myself over the past week and a half, and uh, we're going to break that on down, talk about how to identify it and also ways to um, essentially cope and sit with it. Question of the night. It's up on our Loveline IG page. So weigh in on that. We'll be breaking that on down later in the show. You're listening to Loveline with Dr. Chris on the new channel Q and on radio.com. All right, we're back. And we're going to talk about a really important topic, as always, centering on mental health. We talk in our culture 
very solidly and openly about physical health and physical complications. No one's uncomfortable really sharing about that. No one's uncomfortable hearing about that. But as soon as you turn the topic to mental health, everyone gets a little more fragile. It's a lot. It's something that a lot of people have privacy around and, and anxiety. And, you know, you just don't talk about that because you won't be seen as a competent parent or a competent therapist or a boss or professional if you admit that you have anxiety or some depression, which is why I publicly am talking more about my own struggles. I'm still able to perform all of my duties. I'm a human being. I'm going to f- experience a full range of emotions. And it's very reasonable to normalize that. And recently I was talking on my social media about my, my exhaustion, my chronic fatigue, also my depression. And and it was helping other people feel very supported. It was normalizing for them. And it was really beautiful to have them come out of the woodwork. I remember when I was a child and I was struggling with some issues and I wanted to get into therapy. My mom was like, don't tell people. Therapy is for people that are, you know, have, are, have issues, quote unquote. And it's like, you mean all of us? Because as I grew up and became a therapist, I did learn that a lot of individuals do think it is only for people that are sick, bad, or broken. Therapy is for everyone. Everyone could use some therapy. Everyone could use some couples therapy if they're in a relationship. We we are not in a culture that has good values. We often should not take the advice of our friends. It, therapy is great for everyone. Even if they're not quote unquote struggling, it's a good place to really figure out how to be better, how to do some explorative work, how to f- recenter meanings and goals and passion in your life. And also for people that are maybe struggling with emotional exhaustion. Now, when I was on my social media, I was saying that my exhaustion is not due to needing sleep. Although part of my chronic fatigue is tied to that. Um, I am at some point soon going to need to take some time off from everything thing and just really rest and heal. My body's definitely overloaded and I won't allow myself because of my self-esteem and self-worth to, to let that happen due to work. But emotionally speaking on that level, that's not healed by rest. That is healed by centering your life around self-care and things that bring you joy and things that you're passionate about. It's about finding meaning and value in your world. And I make that distinction because I want people to know that sometimes that doesn't mean you have to, um, like I said, sleep more, take time off. It's that you have to reorganize what maybe your day or your weekends are centered around. And I'm finding myself more and more saying to people, how often are you resting? What kind of self-care are you doing? Are you finding joy in your day, in your week, in your month, in your year? And I want someone to have an answer to all of those. What, What did you do that was joyful today? Every day you should do something full of joy every week and every month and every year. Plan it, build it in, put benchmarks in. If your day has no joy in it, your day is not centered around the right things. It shouldn't just be, well, I worked all day. Great. But you work so that you can have time for some joy. Joy should come before that. So build that in. Now, emotional exhaustion, what are the signs? Well, the first thing is, is that if everything's feeling overwhelming, if you don't feel like you have the capacity to manage even the smallest things, right? If some of the things that normally are neutralized or not a big deal are feeling really big, that is a sign of some emotional exhaustion. When everyday emotions are starting to consume you, you've gotten to the point where the smallest little emotions, bumps in the road or obstacles kind of throw you off, right? That's like the saturation point, right? It's tipping over into that. Also, if you find yourself being hyper, hypersensitive to things, things again that normally wouldn't feel like a big deal, maybe traditionally, if someone takes a little longer to text you back or they're not as thoughtful or, what, or whatnot or they leave things out, you're kind of like, oh, but now everything's feeling pointed and sharp. Everything's making you feel bad. Again, hypersensitivity. Because remember, it takes energy to deal with people. It takes energy emotionally to deal with our own emotions. It takes energy emotionally to cope with a lot of what life throws at us. And if you're not feeling emotionally grounded, 
and instead you're emotionally exhausted, you aren't going to be coming from a place of a firm foundation. And so anything added on top of that is going to feel very overwhelming and very destabilizing. So again, hypersensitivity, the smallest things feeling overwhelming. Also, if you're just feeling defeated, if you're looking around and really just taking note of your life and you're realizing like, I just don't really feel as though it's that hopelessness, it's that helplessness. You're not really looking ahead and feeling great about the rest of the day, tomorrow, this weekend. This sense of like, again, looking around and not really finding meaning, value, or joy in what's around you, that might not be about what's around you. It might again be, you are emotionally exhausted right? You can feel in your body. Every time I say the word emotional exhaustion, I keep putting my hand on my chest because I can just like feel it in my own body. That's huge. Also, if you're struggling to find the ability to kind of push in or push through, you wake up and you're like, I don't think I can even get out of bed, but yet I just slept. And that's where there's a little bit of a crossover in depression, but depression can be an outcome of emotional exhaustion. It feels depressive, feels depressing. You're thinking, I don't know if I have what it takes to get through this day. Also, you're looking at the day thinking it doesn't really provide a lot of meaning or value to me or joy. But that's also, I mean, here's the thing. I'm not, emotional exhaustion isn't bad. It's a sign that your life isn't focused correctly or what's centered isn't meaningful. For some individuals, the sign that they don't want out of, the, the fact that they don't want to get out of bed is a sign that like there's nothing meaningful to get out of bed for. And the question is, is it that I need some self-care? Or is it that the things that are before me, I need to reorient? Because that's what happens when some people change their job, they leave a relationship, they set new boundaries, the, the new hobbies. I mean, you have to start to center these other things that are gonna be not just enhancing and nourishing, but also meaningful and valuable. Because again, remember, we're not talking about physical fatigue. And so the cure isn't necessarily gonna be behavioral or objective or concretized or material or something you can touch. It's often philosophical. It's often about meaning. It's often about value. Um, those are the things you wanna think about. And then finally, another sign that's really big is if you're feeling very emotional, your expressiveness of your emotions or the weight of them or the uh, dramaticness level of them, right? They're extreme, right? The length of time that you're having them, you're, the, the traditional anxiety or depression is just feeling bigger and bolder or you're finding yourself having your day punctuated with crying. That's another sign that there's emotional exhaustion because you're not as able to compartmentalize or regulate or kind of carry that with you. And so again, that's that sign of that emotional exhaustion. So again, the way through that is to acknowledge that it's asking for something. It's not about just getting rid of it. It's saying, what is this speaking to? What is it asking for? If this exhaustion could speak and call out, what would it say? And this is also maybe a sign to get into some therapy and to really process and work with that because this isn't necessarily something that's solved with this show or this week or a few therapy sessions. It might be a larger meaning-making piece that you have to use and build around your life. So sit with that. When we come back, we're going to talk about toxic monogamy and uh, some forms that fall under it. And this is going to be something I want to talk more about because I'm constantly seeing these amazing memes and posts that are just make me shake my head, put my hand to my face. Uh, all right, listening to Love Live with Dr. Chris on the new channel Q and radio.com. All right, we're back. And uh, question of the night's up on our Loveline IG page, as always. So uh, bust on over to that in the stories and answer that. We'll be breaking that on down uh, later in the show. DM's coming up next. So right now we're going to talk about toxic monogamy. Again, toxic monogamy does not mean monogamy is toxic. Toxic monogamy means certain forms of the way we run our relationships are and another word for this is actually uh, emotional abuse. So some of the things that are very normal and traditional in our culture 
are emotionally abusive and they've been standardized. And I see these memes and these stories and I'm thinking that is not healthy and that's not someone in a loving, you know, healthy relationship and there's some work to be done or someone needs to leave that. But we get familiar hearing it because we see it in movies, we hear it in songs, it's the advice our friends give us. And so I want to talk more about it because even if you don't like the term, is my monogamous relationship toxic? We do want to use the term then maybe is it emotionally abusive and how can I improve that? Because, you know, physical abuse, you need to get out. Emotional abuse, you want to sit down and talk about if it's safe and confront it in yourself or in your partner. And if they're willing to stick around and work on it, great. And if not, you, then you got to go uh, because that is bad for us in terms of our mental health and functioning, right? So here's one of the big ones. It was posed on a question. The question was, would you delete your social media for a relationship? Now, the reason why I'm bringing up this question that was posed in this meme is everyone's answers is a lot of people come from a place of threat and jealousy. They think that if I'm in a relationship, I own this person and they start to see everyone else as a threat. And that's not gonna lead to trust or empowerment or autonomy. And again, when we enter a relationship, our life should flourish. This person being brought in should make us better. It should expand our life. Our life shouldn't have to shrink down. It certainly shouldn't have to shrink down to meet the needs of our partner. Our partner, it's okay if our partner is made uncomfortable sometimes. If you are leading a life full of integrity, it's okay to disappoint your partner. It's okay to have boundaries and privacy. We talk about that all the time. No one should ever have to delete their social media. Now I say this until I'm blue in the face. If you trust your partner and your partner trusts you, then these are things we need to push out. If though you're in a relationship with someone who's not worthy of trust, you need to get out. And if you, but if it's you that you need to learn to trust, stick around and learn how to do that work. But deleting your social media, no, because again, if we trust our partner, it doesn't matter. We know that no matter what they're doing on their social media, all is well, because they are worthy of trust and will act from that place. They will uphold boundaries and they will always think about their behavior from a, from a role of not harming someone. Like when I'm in a relationship, I don't do things that would actively make them feel bad or harm them. And so I can be on social media, I can be anywhere and all's gonna be well. And so social media is a powerful outlet for a lot of people to build community it's for people where they do activism, where they keep up with friends and family, where they learn things. It's educational. I know I curate all my social media to be activistic, educational, to give tips, to empower. I want people to have access to that. But if they're in a relationship with someone who's so threatened by the fact that someone could slide into their DMs, you got work to do. Because if you trust your partner, let people slide in their DMs. They're not going to do anything with that or about that. And there shouldn't be a threat. So if you're threatened by the existence of social media, you have work to do. The work when we're uncomfortable jealous isn't about removing and controlling things that make us feel uncomfortable. That's that's That pursuit never ends then. There's, there's always going to be things that make you feel off. It's about grounding yourself in the fact that my partner or my relationship has worth and I trust them. And so these things are, are non-issues and all's well. And this kind of dovetails into the whole, can you be friends with exes, right? And, you know, again, if you trust your partner, you know that they'll uphold boundaries and that they will relate to an ex just from a place of psychological and emotional intimacy. And this is where I really challenge the idea of emotional cheating. Because on one hand, we want to have very intimate, close relationships with those that are in our life, all of our friends. I have a very close, intimate, emotional relationship with everyone that I'm friends with. That's not cheating. Um, I'm, a, I'm allowed to have that. I'm a person, right? Uh, emotional cheating is when it's used in service of building towards sexuality or romance if that is not the agreement you've made with your partner, right? And so if you're in a monogamous relationship, great. 
you are still allowed to have deeply present, honest, and emotional relationships with others, even if it's someone who you were sexual with at some point. That is no longer what's available on the table or how you're relating, but you're still allowed to have all the other threads of what connected you and brought you together in the first place, right? Because again, like I said, relationships shouldn't shrink our lives down. They shouldn't limit us. Being in a romantic relationship, which we don't have to be in, should be something that's enhancing. And if it's not feeling like your life is bigger, better, or enhanced, check in on that. Conflict, yeah, that's life. Fighting sometimes, sure, that's part of a relationship. But it shouldn't be toxic. It shouldn't make us feel bad. It shouldn't make our life worse off. It shouldn't shrink our life down. It shouldn't be about limits. That's that's not the whole point or the purpose. And so if you're relating to this, I'd want the first thing to be about you sitting down and having a conversation with yourself. Is it work I need to do with me? Is it work I need to do with my partner? Do I need to reorient the structure? Do I need to set new rules? Uh, maybe I need to leave because they're not going to be open to that. Are they mature? I mean, this is where this all gets flushed out is how we manage these things. How you and your partner deal with this uh, conflict or differing opinions speaks a lot to how healthy and what kind of future you can expect from them. So Really pay attention to that. We're going to talk more about that. So coming up next, we're going to be sliding into the DMs, and then we're going to be talking about a little bit of a punchy, controversial topic, the positive benefits psychologically and sexually of porn. Porn is something that really gets scapegoated and a lot of negative things attached to it, but we're going to talk about some of the positives and actually also clarify some of the research. So uh, come back and join us for that. You're listening to Loveline with Dr. Chris on the new channel Q and on radio.com. All right, we're back. It's time to slide into those DMs. Sliding into the DMs. Sliding into DMs is brought to you by our friends at Trojan Condoms because it's a big old sexy world. And we want you to explore it with confidence. The DMs come from our Loveline IG page. Slide on in there. Look, it's confidential, it's anonymous. So whatever your questions are, often it's a similar question that someone else has had or something they're struggling with. So jump in there with your questions. And the reason why we do them on air is so that everyone can learn and grow from them because a lot of the same things come in frequently or we can just learn something or look out for something. So, you know, you'll get your questions answered, but you're also helping others and those around you. So, um... It's doing the Lord's work. That's what I'm saying. All right, this one says, Hi, Dr. Chris. I'm finding that me and my partner are getting into a lot more arguments. And now that lockdowns are being implemented again, I'm afraid our relationship just won't make it. I feel like as bad as it sounds, we are on top of each other all the time and things just aren't getting better. Yeah, this is difficult stuff. We talk endlessly about this exact question. I've had this question just a little different uh, last week. And the first thing I'm, I'm constantly saying is this isn't forever. And this isn't ideal. And we don't have perfect solutions for how to manage what's happening. This is new. Um, How do we get through a pandemic? The best we can. (laughs) As unscarred as we can. And that's why I'm saying hold things lightly. Because sometimes what's coming up is just born out of the current situation and will alleviate when the situation changes. And so that's the first thing to remember. This isn't forever. This isn't how my relationship now is. This is just what's born out of what's going on. And so take it seriously, but don't. When I say take it seriously, I mean it does matter how you engage and talk to your partner. Those wounds will exist. When I say don't take it too seriously, I mean don't panic and don't make a big deal and catastrophize or dramatize things. Some of these things you might want to shelf and say, look, right now is a tough time. Things are a little amplified and pressured. When the world's back to normal, God knows when that'll be, we'll circle back and talk about this. Also, it's okay to get into some couples therapy and say, look, we don't manage this very well on our own, so let's bring it to therapy. I work with some people where some topics are discussed in therapy only. Also, let it go, let it go, let it go. A lot of times, we are making a big deal out of nothing, and a lot of the couples I'm working with in telemedicine, I'm saying, 
let it go. That is not something to make a big deal out of. Learn how to live with that. Look, here's the ratio. A third of issues that couples come in with, we can completely resolve and fix and remove. About a third, we can make better. It's still gonna be there, but we'll make it a little better. And a third, not going anywhere. That's just what it's gonna be like when the two of you are together in a relationship. And that's the thing. Every relationship has work. And you have to decide if what the work is when I'm with this person in this relationship, is that something I'm willing to accept? Because maybe it's resolvable, maybe it's only improvable, and sometimes that's what it looks like. Based on who we are and what happens when we come together, that is what it looks like. And that's also what we call compatibility. What it looks like when these two personalities come together. And is that sustainable? Is that healthy? Just because you are attracted to someone or love them or want to be with them does not mean you're compatible. It does not mean that when the two of you come together, you create something that's workable, doable, sustainable, or healthy. That's just the unfortunate truth. I can't fix everything. And sometimes the work is also bigger than some people are willing to do. They'll realize, man, what I'll, 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 I will lay out for them as their couples therapist what the work is. And sometimes they'll say, it's too much. It's not worth it. That is, because sometimes the work is going, it's going to take years. It's going to be intense. They'll be daily working on this with me for years, daily at home, but with me weekly for years. That is sometimes what the work takes because of their history, their trauma, who they are, like a multitude of reasons. And you have to decide if you're willing to show up for that, right? That's an individual decision. So again, build in self-care, say that to nauseam, take time apart. Sometimes it's because you're spending too much damn time together. Go for a walk alone, work out alone, go for a drive, whatever it is. Build in romance, still keep it cute and fun. Are you having fun? No. Have you tried to make it fun? And also let it go. <laughs> Hashtag COVID. I told you about that. How mean some of my patients are laughing going, hashtag COVID. Yep, this is a COVID situation. Um, not everything's fixable, but lead with love, man. If nothing else, I said that on an interview, multiple interviews. I want us to come out of this with more care and compassion, just letting people be people, you know? And that's what you have to apply. If we just apply compassion in most situations, it kind of starts to resolve itself a little bit. Um, you know, it, it, it decreases the amplification. We fight fair, lead with love, let go. I'm with you all. You know, we're all humans and we're doing the best we can in the middle of a pandemic. It really stinks. Trust me, I, I'm struggling with some things on, on my own and I'm giving myself a break. You know what I mean? Like the bar's still high, but I'm also realizing that I'm a person. So, all right, question of the night. It's up on our 11IG page, weighing on that. Still got some time. Coming up next, we're gonna talk about porn. Yep, it's got a lot of healthy benefits, mentally, sexually, relationally. We're gonna talk about all of them. Why? Because we keep it real and there's no reason to not use a tool that has a positive benefit if it can help us. Uh, listen to Loveline with Dr. Chris on the new channel Q and radio.com. All right, we're back. And uh, question of the night, it's up on our Loveline AG page, as always. Answer that. We're going to be breaking that on down later in the show. But right now, we're going to do a double segment on bum ba da bum porn. Yeah, it's interesting. This one is, this is one of the like top three topics that tends to be the most controversial and punchy. Look, we live in a sex phobic culture. We see sex as a special case, right? You can travel the world tasting food, cool. Travel the world to see art, cool. Travel the world to meet new people, cool. Travel the world for sex, nope, something's wrong. You can spend all day on Sunday watching Real Housewives, watching these classist women flip tables and scream at each other. You can watch multiple hours of guys running around knocking each other, getting concussions, AKA football. You, you know, Watching porn though or something sexual based, 
pull the car over, there's a problem, right? Anytime you fold in sex, we panic. We talk about self-care. You talk about sex or masturbation self-care, people get anxious. A lot of people don't include that in there. Porn's the same thing. We love to make a lot of assumptions about it. Now, I'm, I'm a trained sex therapist. There's only a couple hundred of us in the world that have done the work of really getting trained. It's a true specialization and certification. And porn is a really important part of that, and it helped me really understand the, the value in it. Um, we're going to talk about the therapeutic mental health value, but first I just want to kind of paint the landscape. Porn's been around since the beginning of time. Porn's existed and continues to exist in every single culture. We go back to caves and pottery, and it exists in their art. It, it is everywhere, um, and different cultures have a better relationship to it than we do. We're very phobic. There's a lot of cultures where they don't see it as something to be afraid of or to avoid. They see it as something that's inevitable and eventual, and they talk about that. They don't use words like virginity as though having sex is something bad or something's lost. They talk about someone's sexual debut. They're excited that someone's finally had sexuality, and they're eager for it, and they teach their kids the beauty and joy of sex. We tend to talk about it as though it's something bad and wrong. We talk about what you have to be aware, you know, wary of. We don't ever talk about the fact that it's fun and full of joy and it's a beautiful thing. We don't talk about the fact that it doesn't promise anything. Have sex, why? Because you want it. Sex doesn't promise you anything. It doesn't mean you're gonna get love or get married. Have sex because you want to, because you want fun, because these two adults promise nothing more than in that moment they're gonna be together. And we also talk about the fact that sex is an okay way to build a relationship, that many deep, powerful relationships are built from that, that you can go on non-sexual dates as long as you want, but at some point, you do have to have sex and explore that level of compatibility. You're allowed to also start there and start with the sexual chemistry and compatibility and then explore the emotional, social, and psychological. You can start it wherever you want, but all of it needs to be assessed and explored. And porn is often a scapegoat. We, we finally, you know, I'm part of a group of sexual scientists that are doing the research and we know that it does not, it does not lead to erectile dysfunctions. It does not have a negative impact on relationships. We know that a lot of people in relationships are using it because their partner or their relationship or the sex isn't good. And that's why they go to the porn. It's not the porn that's to blame. And there's so many great studies that are out there done by colleagues of mine. And so the research is out there. You just gotta be thoughtful about who you look at because I know a lot of people's work that actually isn't scientifically sound and it's very targeted and specific. Um, and so I, I prescribe it for a lot of different individuals and it has a lot of meaning and a lot of value and it holds a very great purpose. Um, and so remember, you know, also you cannot be addicted to sex. You cannot be addicted to porn. Often it's that people just have anxiety about their use of it or how often, and that's because they're pleasure phobic or body phobic or sex phobic. And when you talk about how it's acceptable and it's okay, and um, if you have a lot of downtime, of course that leads you to the possibility of using it a lot more, et cetera, et cetera. And that a lot of the shame and guilt is not due to it being a problem, it's due to you internalizing culture, that you you wonder what people would think. And we have partners that will punish their partner when they find out what they look at. I have husbands or wives coming into my office pissed and upset at what they found on their partner's browser, which by the way, that's emotionally abusive and you know, you're know you allowed to have boundaries and privacy. Your partner doesn't have a right to research or look at the kind of porn you look at. And before we get into the benefits, I wanna remind everyone that you get to have control over your sex, your solo sexuality. Your partner and you might make a decision or a pact around partnered sex, that maybe you only have sex with them. But when you're having sex with yourself, your partner doesn't get to weigh in on that. You get to decide what happens while you're having solo sex, while you're masturbating. What you look at, what you think about, your partner doesn't have a right to weigh in on that, and they don't have a right to judge that. That is under your own control, that is your private time, just like your partner doesn't get to tell you what you're reading. Your partner doesn't get to tell you what movies you're watching. 
Your partner doesn't get to tell you what kind of music you get to listen to. Porn, fantasy, and solo sex fall under those same categories. Your partner doesn't get to tell you what foods to eat when they're not around. They also don't get to weigh in on your solo sexuality. See where I'm going with that? We value that when we talk about food, music, what you're going to wear. But again, we bring up you know pornography or masturbation and we're like, mm, it's a different story. But it's not. It's just that we tend to not value it or hold it in the same light. And so we minimize it. We reduce it. It's not primitive. It's not immature to look at porn. It's actually healthy. As I've shared before, some people are more solo sexed, which means they're not sexually oriented towards partnered sex. They prefer sex alone. That's an sexual orientation. There's nothing bad or wrong with that. Um, there's a lot of beauty and value in it. We can learn a lot in looking at our opinions around porn. We learn about our thoughts on bodies, our thoughts on gender, race, sexuality, even our trust with ourselves and our partner. So when we come back, we're going to talk about what are the therapeutic benefits of porn? How can it help us? How can it help our partners? And also how can it help our culture? Because it's all in there. Just this topic, sit with how you're feeling as I talk about this topic. It will show you where your work is. Whatever you want to fight, battle, reject, or not agree with, that's where your work is. That's where your sex negativity is. So work on that. All right, coming up, we'll be doing that, listening to Loveline with Dr. Chris on the new channel Q and radio.com. All right, we're back and we're going to be talking about therapeutic uses of porn, which is surprising to some people, but I prescribe it to a lot of individuals to do a lot of different things. And we're going to talk about what those are and how you can use it. And as I said in our last segment, really sit with whatever makes you feel uncomfortable as I speak, really sit with what you want to reject or deny or push back on. That shows you where your work is. That shows you where your sexual wounding is. That shows you where your sexual negativity is and really zero in and say, how can I work on healing that? Why, why does that make me so scared? What am I afraid of and what benefit can I get from really healing that? So therapeutic uses for porn. These are the reasons why I prescribe it. First off, it helps normalize diverse sex acts. Watching porn can show us what's possible and that there's nothing wrong with all these things. That when consenting adults compassionately engage in a wealth of creative and diverse sex acts, it's about fun and that's okay. We don't need to be afraid of that. We don't need to limit that. Um, as they jokingly say, but I love this, don't yuck someone else's yum, which means just because someone enjoys something, you don't get to judge that or weigh in on it. It doesn't make them a bad person. We don't have control over what we're aroused by. That is, a, that, and we'll talk about that on another show, but that's, that's a large, complex process. And so we shouldn't have to feel bad guilt or shame around what we're turned on by. What we do with that matters, the boundaries, the impulse control, how it impacts us and others, but its existence is not bad or wrong. We don't have control over what exists. What we do with it, we have control over. So other uses for porn, it helps increase body esteem for people that have maybe a marginalized, non-normative, or often de-eroticized body. And so for them, I'll prescribe porn that shows their body being prioritized, experiencing joy and pleasure, and it also normalizes them seeing that body. So that when they look down at their body or the body of their partner, they start to associate it with acceptance and pleasure. Because again, the kind of porn we watch reinforces what we find acceptable and pleasurable and arousing. And our arousal template, what we're turned on by, is very plastic and malleable. We can shift it and fold things into it, and that's stunning. Also helps some couples find new creative ways to be sexual together. We get in ruts, habits, patterns, and porn can be a way to kind of show us, ah, I never thought of that, or I never saw that little nuance, because in porn, it's not just the bodies, it's what they're doing, where they're doing it, how they're doing it, the comfort, the noises, the sounds, right? Because when we have sex, we tend to limit ourselves. We tend to not just make the sounds we want to make, let our bodies do what they want to do, and just let go and be open, which is the goal. We tend to limit it, where we can be touched, how we can be touched, and within the context of a loving relationship, with someone we feel safe with, where we know there's compassion, I want people to just be able to let go and be themselves. 
Also give sex to single people. And some people that don't unfortunately meet are very problematic criteria for what we find desirable or attractive in our world. And so for some people, porn is the totality of their sex life. Or if they don't have sex partners, porn is where they go to achieve arousal and satisfaction. And everyone has a right to that. Psychologically, they get to use porn as a way to connect to others sexually. It is their total sex life. Also for people that are in a monogamous relationship, it's a place for them to get sex if they have a higher sex drive. If their partner, for whatever reason, has a lower sex drive, no sexual interest, or not into the same kind of things that they're into, I'm glad that porn exists. That's a place where they can go for supplemental or complementary sex and sexuality. Porn, it's always available. And you don't have to then stress out your partner because you're pushing for it, wanting it, or they're not interested because again, our sex drive is going to be impacted by employment, how we feel about our body, the health of our relationship, right? Medications we're taking, our mood, our mental health, all of these things matter. And that's why it's constantly going through phases and shifts and changes. Also, it's a beautiful form of self-care and self-soothing. We can use porn, masturbation, and sex as a way to self-soothe. Yes, it can also be a form of entertainment and pleasure. It's just fun. It's, enter it's interesting, it's entertaining, that's value. For some people, it's also their job. So for some, porn is a career choice, it's employment. It's a great form of employment for someone that wants control, especially right now with amateur made porn where people via a few sites are able to make their own porn at home and make money directly. They produce it, they edit it, they shoot it, they're empowered, they're in control, stunning. And they're making a lot of really great money and they're in control, they set their own schedule. That's beautiful, I love that for people. Also can increase sexual autonomy, why? It reminds people that they own their sexuality, that it's not owned by their partner, that they can have sex whenever they want, however they want, and it's not under the control of what their partner wants or how available their partner is or how comfortable their partner is. I love that. Also, it can build comfort. It can work against erotophobia. Some people I work with, they're afraid of thinking about sex, hearing sex, having it, and so porn is a safe way to start to get them comfortable hearing it, seeing it, and being a part of it. Some people have erotophobia. It's a mental health disorder. They're really afraid of arousal, others and their own. And this is a way that they can start to work on getting more comfortable. I'm so glad that, that that's there. And also, there's a lot of very body positive feminist based porn, which means it's shot from the female gaze. It's about full bodied sexuality. It pleasure, it centers the pleasure of everyone. It's not just about the penis owner person. Because remember, sex and porn can't be addictive. It's something that's always operating with us and on us. And we've talked about that on other shows and we will again, but it's a tool for female sexuality that's traditionally repressed and shamed to be liberated because females can engage in their sex fully and totally watching others do it and watching themselves do it. Females do like porn. They do watch porn. They do have sex drives. They are aggressive. They are active. And there's nothing bad or wrong with that. And porn is a place for them to sometimes explore that, see that, experience that, right? Sit in that, explore their whole body. Porn's also a good way to spike the arousal. It's a good way to bring in other people on the screen via porn. It's a good way to just add a little more spices, watching it in the background, hearing it, seeing it, sometimes closing your eyes, maybe just you're zeroing in on the porn as your partner's servicing you or you're performing something on them. It's okay while with a partner to be focused on something else. It also empowers sexual minorities, whether it's race, body, orientation, um, it can be used to help sexual assault survivors reclaim their sexuality. They, they have power because they choose when, where, and how. It can make them feel safe receiving arousal and seeing arousal. It makes them empowered. It also helps people learn more honesty about their own sexuality because they'll stumble upon things and go, I never knew that I was turned on by that. 
and it can be really enlightening and it can be normalizing because they're seeing it there. Because remember, if the porn exists, that means that there's a market for it. That means it's acceptable. And so we're starting to see that. And the final caveat before we wrap this up is just, we, we people have tried to fold in sex trafficking with, with porn. And those are two different worlds. And that's not what we're talking about. Sex trafficking is something violent that's not consensual. And the porn I'm talking about is studio porn or self-made porn where there are boundaries. The performers decide who they want to perform with, what they want to do and what they don't want to do. A lot of them have agents that actually protect them, look out for them. They have managers. There's people on set. They choose their hours. They're all tested. And so it's a very empowering thing that continues to get really beautiful, powerful insight, awareness, and regulations put on it. So enjoy, enjoy, enjoy. Coming up next, question of the night. Listen to Loveline with Dr. Chris on the new channel Q and radio.com. All right, we're back. And now it's time for question of the night. Question of the night, which is always up on our Loveline IG in the stories. Tonight's question is uh, about apologies. Do you accept an apology from someone who's gone off on a racist rant? Why or why not? Oh man, I bet you the answers to this question a couple months or years ago is very different from how it is now. Why? We have more awareness of the impact of racism, how jokes, comments are the ground upon which these larger forms of racism macro level systemically and institutionally get to exist and perpetuate and are strengthened it's these little rumblings that show who has work to do or where your work is and 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 again racism can build and so it's never just a rant or a joke right and so i want us to be able to really use that reflectively and it also just communicates this isn't a safe space or i'm a person that has work to do and maybe you know boundaries need to be set or i need to be you know removed from someone's life so these things matter right uh so again question of the night is do you accept an apology from someone who's gone off on a racist rant i've talked about this where i've ended dates when people made transphobic comments or racist comments and i was like nah i'm so uncomfortable with that and I give them a second to see what they say, but usually like, I'm like, oh, and now more than ever, people know better. Keep that stuff to yourself and do the work. There's so many beautiful resources out there to do that work, but I'm always here to remind you. All right, so do you accept uh, an apology? Why or why not? First person, depends on what they previously said and their actions after they've apologized. So that kind of brings us into the whole concept of apology. I want people to have space to do better and to learn. Not everyone knows everything about everything and we're too uh, sensitive sometimes to just cancel someone right off the bat. So if someone made a mistake and they say, look, I know that I did and, and, I'm, and I'm sorry, and they can explain why and how and they do better, I'm open to, to having them stick around. I'm a therapist. I believe in the capacity of growth and healing and being better. That is literally my job. So I'm always here for that. Um, but again, it has to be true accountability and openness to being better and learning. So again, do you accept an apology from someone who's gone off on a racist rant? Why or why not? Someone said, no, no, you just associate yourself with that person. Yeah, I get it. Some people are like, I don't have the time or space for this. And that's fair too. Some people are exhausted by it. They're burnt out. Um, it's too traumatic, it's triggering, or they're like, look, you do the work, I want a higher level of compassion and maturity in my life. So I respect that too. We all know better. Y'all do better, know better. Every generation should be doing better than the one before. Um, we, you know, my God, like there's not a lot of room for someone to try to act like they didn't know. Like you've all been warned, you've all been told, don't use the N word, don't do blackface, uh, nothing complicit, implicit, like, whew, so much work to do. Again, question of the night is, do you accept an apology from someone who's gone off on a racist rant? Why or why not? Someone said, it's a no for me. I respect that. It's a no for me as well. <laughs> like, it's a hard line for me. Anyone that engages in anything violent, whether it's towards someone gay, trans, black, whatever it is, uh, I'm like, later, you know, do the work, man. It's out there. You should know better. Someone else said, it's toxic to keep those people in your life. 
even celebrities that you follow, best to delete. I agree. I unfollow. I'm out. I'm not going to put my money in that. I'm not going to support their work or their restaurant or their store. Uh, I've been putting all my money towards black owned businesses. I've shared this on my IG. I've been ordering tons of vegan donuts from uh, vegan bakeries that are black owned cookies, donuts, some apparel from some black owned clothing companies. Also try to buy queer owned. If they're black and queer, that's even better. Trying to support marginalized, exploited people. Yeah. Absolutely. So I always look for a black owned business first these days if I can. Someone else said it's, uh, someone said no. That's how they feel. Yep. Basically, meaning like, do they accept an apology? Nah, like you told me who you are and what you feel, and you're left with that, and, and I'm out. So I appreciate that. Someone else said, yeah, if they're sincere about it and really attempt to engage in anti racist work. Okay. I appreciate that. You want it, you're, you're willing to do a little more labor, hold a little more space, let them show up, do the reading, do the work, come back, kind of show them who they are, what they are. I respect that. And that's your choice. We all get to decide like what we want to be around and who we want to be around. And we need some people to be willing to kind of hold that space and kind of maybe hold their hand through it. So I appreciate that. I've seen some great stories of growth and shift and change when, you know, cause we don't all start out knowing better. We all should by this point, you know, that's what's powerful about this time in history is it's plastered everywhere. It's hard to not be forced to encounter. Do you have racism? Which, you know, we live in a racist culture, so we all have some piece of it to dismantle. If we're white, you know, white supremacy, it's, it's a norm in this culture. Someone else said, um, nope, because that's how they truly feel. And I honor that as well. Some people are like, look, what you say is how you feel. The jokes you make, it's honest. It's authentic. It comes right out. I see who you are. I will, I will honor who you are. You know what I mean? I will leave you with that. And it also sometimes deals with the history we have. Like if you're a person of color yourself, you're like, I can't, you know, this is bigger than that. Or if you've, yeah, it really depends on context. I think based on what you've encountered, who you are, where you are in the work. And I know for me, like I get exhausted and burnout. I do this for my job. I don't then want to do it with people I'm dating. And so for me to have friends or family members or someone I'm dating in my life, the bar is really high. Cause I, 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 I can't go home and do the work that I've done all day long with media and in my office. Right. And I hold the bar high for myself. And so I think I'm willing to do a little, little, uh, acknowledgement education, but not much, but if it's someone I don't know well, or it's a first date or something, no way I'm out, you know, even on those apps, sometimes I've done a little educational stuff and other times I'm like, I just can't with this, you know, it depends on your energy level, you know, if you're emotionally exhausted. Uh, we'll end on this one. Someone said it depends on the apology and what they do after. I will accept change behavior. I love that. I want to also accept change behavior, right? But if the apology and whether or not they really show up and embody that is what really communicates whether or not they're safe to be brought back if they're willing to do that work. And whether they are or they're not speaks to will they be willing to do other levels of work that are needed. I want to be around people that are open to learning and being called out appropriately, you know? All right, coming up next, we're going to slide into those DMs. Listening to Loveline with Dr. Chris on the new channel Q and radio.com. All right, time to slide into those DMs. Sliding into the DMs. Sliding into the DMs is brought to you by our friends at Trojan Condoms because it's a big old sex of world. We want you to explore it with confidence. DMs come from our Loveline IG page. As always, slide on in there. Give us your questions. We'll answer them. We got your back. We're here for you. Um, this one asks, Dear Dr. Chris, my girlfriend and I are long distance, and we have been for four years. But the coronavirus has made it the hardest it's ever been, maybe because we can't travel to see each other when we want. Is there anything we can do to try to make our relationship survive? Yeah, we're getting a lot of somewhat repeated, repetitive questions, and that just tells me that we're all still struggling with these things or the answers just aren't feeling good enough. And so I'm with you on that. Look, I'm in a long-distance relationship myself, and I'm dealing with a lot of the hardships because remember, and this is like a tip for those that maybe are in a relationship with someone closely, the things that make us feel most close, connected, and help build intimacy are time together, eye contact, and touch. 
And long distance inherently doesn't allow that. And so it's natural to struggle and to not feel as close. So again, for those that are with their partners and can be, pay attention to that. How much eye contact and touch are we getting? Maybe that's why we're feeling distant. Can we amp that up? That can help you feel reconnected, help you stay connected. Can be affectionate, sexual, erotic. So for those that are dealing with long distance, the question is how can we best mimic that? And you know, again, thank God for technology. Had this <laughs> been happening pre what we have, it'd be di more difficult. So don't do, you know, let me say it like this. Do a lot of phone calls and texting, that's awesome. But you also wanna use the app in a way that allows eye contact. So get on your FaceTime, your Skype, your Zoom, see them as often as you can. Try to get the eye contact, right? Bam, eye contact. Also though, send videos. Send pictures. That's another way to be present and to see them and to feel part of their life. Keep up. Send funny, funny memes and stories. It's a way to share yourself. Also sending gifts, trying to find sexuality. But again, it's not ideal. It's not perfect. And it falls under the case of uh, hashtag Corona means we're doing the best we can. Hang in there. Don't let the coronavirus be the reason why you miss out on something beautiful or miss out on getting to be with someone you love. We can't maybe see them in real time. Hang in there. This isn't forever. Trust me, as I say this to you, I'm saying this to myself, it stinks. I miss sex in that way. I miss seeing them, touching them. We can't have that. But what I've been doing in my relationship is we've been sending gifts, cute, adorable ones, ones that aren't expensive. Again, FaceTiming so we can have eye contact, trying to find ways to be sexual, still doing date nights, sending funny memes and pictures, texting, sending videos. It's called doing the best you can. And that's what you do if you love someone and they're worth it to you. All right, let's do another one. This one says, since the start of COVID, I downloaded Tinder. Oh, wait, I think we talked about this one. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Sorry, we did this one before. This is, sorry, I have a list um, and I have some old ones on here. That one was actually a really sketchy one. Here we go. Um, bump it a bum. Dear Dr. Chris, I have two kids by the same baby daddy. One is 14 and one is 11. We've been broken up for years and his family isn't a part of, the, isn't a part of our lives. Recently, my 14-year-old's asking, why don't I have a boyfriend? But to be honest, I'm bi. Can I tell them? Here's the thing. How we live our lives, what we share with our partners, what we share with our kids, what we share with all those around us demonstrates whether or not we have confidence or whether or not we have shame. If you're living a life as someone who's gay, someone who's bi, someone who's trans, there's nothing bad or wrong about that. No shame should be had. You should be able to talk openly to anyone and everyone about that. I want us to normalize it. I want people to get familiar with hearing it, seeing it, learning about it, knowing it exists, maybe trying it. And so yes, talk openly. There's no such thing as age appropriateness around discussing the existence of certain kinds of human beings because to keep silence implies there's something wrong with it. If your child is allowed to see straight couples and if you're allowed to say that he's dating her and they're allowed to watch movies with straight couples, then they're healthy enough and they're able to see gay couples and trans people and trans couples, et cetera, et cetera. If they can see hetero, they can see gay and everything else. So bisexuality should not be something that needs to be covertly expressed, changing the language. And there's nothing bad or wrong with that. Why can they not hear that? That's not toxic or bad. They're, they exist in the world. And so I want you to proudly talk to anyone and everyone about that. And your kids are educated based on not just what you say, but also how you say it. And hiding it is implying that something's bad or wrong about it. And that's not the case. And I want everyone raising their children watching movies that have gay characters, trans characters, so they get familiar and comfortable and confident. They might themselves be trans or gay or bi. And I want them to know that it's okay. And that's how you start to kind of put that out there. So do that work. Sliding the DMs is brought to you by our friends at Trojan Condoms because it's a big old sex of world and we want you to explore with confidence. That's our show. We'll be back tomorrow night, 7 p.m. Pacific, 8 p.m. Eastern. As always, the show is podcasted at wearechannelqandradio.com. 
get in on our Loveline IG question, though, by going on the Loveline page and going on the stories there. We'll be back tomorrow talking about anxiety around wearing a mask because masks are now a part of our lives and will be for a long time. So talk about how to cope with that, how to deal with that. Also, make sure you're washing them. I learned that. <laughs> I learned that lesson at, at being out in the world the other day, being like, what does that smell? All right, y'all, as always, thanks for hanging out. And you guys have a beautiful, beautiful night.